De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today, we're going to be talking about why the buyer's journey is broken and how gated and ungated content are not the only options anymore. I am excited to be welcoming Sam Sr., who is the founder and CEO of TestBox which tests and compares B2B software, say goodbye to boring demos, trial accounts, and unnecessary qualifying calls. Instead, get hands-on experience and compare the top B2B software side-by-side -side with real use cases in one place. And today, Sam and I are going to be talking about why the buyer's journey is broken. Okay, here's my conversation with Sam Sr., the founder and CEO at TestBox. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Doug. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you on. You know, there's there's a little time before the recording, folks, where, where I get to chat with the guests. And I have to say, I've been looking forward to having Sam on, not because Sam is a charismatic founder, not that Sam is somebody who's going to necessarily set awards for the best podcast recording ever, but Sam sort of represents the bleeding edge of what, I, what I'm calling the buyer's toolkit. So, folks, I think there's a lot to pay attention to here and specifically how the buyer's journey is going to change. And Sam, before we even talk about how the buyer's journey is likely to change, I think we both agree that there's some fundamental problems in the buyer's journey. And those fundamental problems are driving a change in how buyers approach the selling cycle and new ISVs like TestBox coming up and trying to solve those problems. So from your view, what's going wrong with the buyer's journey? What's happening out there that TestBox needs to come in and, and come to the rescue? It all starts with probably last 10 to 20 years of software buying and selling. We sort of trained ourselves that the software buyer isn't that knowledgeable about what they're buying and don't really understand what they want and need to be guided through this entire experience. That is no longer true. We have much younger software buyers who have used software since they were born or since they were 10, 15 years old. And so there's actually this increased knowledge around what people want, how things work, and additionally, people are now used to self-serving and experiencing purchasing things in a totally different way to software like they do in their, their lives with fast at-home delivery that they can return things after they've tested it for a day or, or being able to pick things up out of a locker somewhere. There's all these different ways that people are used to buying things in their personal lives. And we haven't seen that adaptation in the way of buying enterprise software. And so that's where I think the stem of all of this is for the software buying experience being broken. Okay. So a lot of interesting points there. You know, what we really have is expectations increasing over time. I'm hearing from you, Sam. We've got expectations about information, the ability to get my hands on information. Typically, we have buyers who have been buying a lot over time. In other words, we have a RevOps function that is now responsible, especially in B2B SaaS organizations, for purchasing software. And guess what? They're super knowledgeable. 
And they have a little resources at their disposal. They have G2 crowd, they have trust radius, they have Captera, and they're used to being informed coming in. And, and you're making another point that's really interesting. And I'd, I'd love you to dig a bit deeper into it, but there's this, this expectation that's been set from our B2C or from our consumer lives that I'm going to have a lot of access to be able to do research to a product. I can show up at, I don't know, a Best Buy and look at the product. I can check it out online. And what you're saying here is that equivalency does not exist for B2B buyers of software. That's absolutely right. Uh, and you, you can extend that, not just like I can go touch and feel it, but also there are all these different people out in the world who have perspectives on it who maybe aren't affiliated with the vendors. You see people do unboxings on YouTube and they walk you through all of the details of these products and they're not necessarily being paid for any of that sort of thing. They're doing it because they love it, but it enables you as a potential consumer to really understand all the little bits and pieces that go behind something. And we can do that for something that might only cost us $100. But right now we can't do that for a piece of software that might cost $50,000, $500,000 plus. And, and I think that's what's starting to break down and where you start to see a lot of frustration from software buyers now. When you and the team were researching whether or not to make TestBox a thing, I'm sure there's, I can imagine it wasn't just somebody sitting around with a napkin going, hey, what are we going to draw out, right? There's research that goes into this and understanding, sometimes it informed our own domain experience. But when you guys were taking a look at that, what about the buyer's journey did you evaluate that you said, look, these are fundamental pieces of the buyer's journey that's broken? We talked about expectations, but where in the buyer's journey did you guys localize and say, this, this is a place we need to really pay attention? Yeah. So if you think about software buying, I think of it as discovery, evaluation, negotiation, implementation, right? So there's those four phases. On the discovery side, you have, as you said, G2, Captera, and TrustRadius, et cetera. They're doing a fantastic job. On the negotiation side, you have companies, either people doing it for themselves, or you have companies like Vendor, Sastrify, Tropic doing this. And right now, all the evaluation is very much in the hands of that sales rep and that vendor. And I think what we've seen is that that's the current buying process isn't enough. That's why we have all these additional players. And so we sort of sat there and said, is there an opportunity to improve the evaluation experience in some way? And that's when I saw, I spoke to, I think, 75 end buyers of software in the space of a month, having also spent years in this space. And everyone would consistently tell me that they felt the evaluation experience was very opaque. It felt like it was actually about the sales rep and their experience rather than the person as the customer and what they wanted to do. There was a lack of information. Even though you have a lot on G2, there's still lack of information around pricing. People find it actually very hard to compare features. And then you never really get to kick the tires yourself. You're shown demos, you're shown videos, but you're never actually given the ability to have a hands-on experience. Sometimes you are, but if you are, it's like, an empty environment with no data, there's no use cases. You have to spend a lot of time making sure it's even good enough for you to test if this is the right platform. And that can take tens of hours. And so what we just observed is there's a lot of frustration here for people where they are getting serviced by G2, they're getting serviced by vendor, but they're kind of stuck in this way where no one is improving this experience that they've been dealing with for such a long time now. Okay, I love that breakdown. So we have discovery, we have evaluation, we have negotiation, then we have installation. The big gap that you guys exposed was on the evaluation size. And I imagine that range is pretty ridiculous. And a completely uncurated experience. I'm kind of dropped into a software set without a ton of knowledge, without a use case that I can apply. When I'm introduced into that type of software into a software that's uncurated, you know, I've got to figure things out. And quite often, you know, from being in software for a really long time, Sam, I'll tell you, that is reflected in the numbers. You see a lot of people will come into those 
trial instances and just bounce out. So what you do is you curate like crazy. So quite often your your trial experience is determined by the curation level of that instance, of that trial instance. So I'm curious, did you also see that as being a point of concern, which is sometimes companies that are very good at curation of those trial environments are winning when they should not. In other words, the superior vendor, the superior vendor experience is hidden by poor curation or a poor trial experience. I think that's what we're seeing with the growth of product-led growth, where you're actually people have created very curated product experiences for people when they go into a trial environment. And it's actually enabling them to continue understanding the product as they're using it, expanding their usage of the product. That's why product-led growth has kicked off so successfully. Okay. So we dovetail into PLG, but PLG is hard, right? It's not something that a legacy, let's call let's call most SaaS companies legacy software companies. They can't back into a PLG motion. And I've seen people try. It's tough if it's not kind of built into your DNA. So in many ways, this is also addressing the fact that PLG-led organizations have an advantage. And again, Sam, I'm coming from this really from the from the seller's perspective, right? So in some ways, that's the flip side to the value prop of TestBox. The first is to say to the buyer, hey, guess what? You can actually have an equivalent experience testing products with use cases, with applicable use cases. Hey, for sellers, guys, you actually are in a spot where potentially you could put your software in an advantageous position, say compared to, say, PLG or others that don't have curated test environments. Yeah, that's right. I think the the interesting thing, if you look at trials in the world of enterprise software that are non-PLG, a lot of them are designed to get you to talk to a sales rep. They're seven days, 14 days, whatever. It's very hard to get going. And so the, even for those legacy companies that are trying to do a PLG motion, they're actually still pushing everyone into a sales, into their typical sales motion. And so what we're thinking about is how do you enable legacy companies to be able to provide a PLG buying type experience to customers that aren't, and you're not just forcing them back into the old way every time. And that's the idea, very much the idea behind TestBox is you can actually enable both the buyer and the seller to be more successful here. So we've got our value props on both sides. And I'll admit, I feel two emotions at once talking about TestBox and the potential, right? One emotion that I feel is, great joy over the possibility that we can improve the buyer experience. I feel like this is a really good way of addressing what can be a really bumpy buying process. On the flip side, I have great anxiety because we potentially, we as ISVs, especially those of us in the B2B SaaS kind of pre-scale area, like we're really giving over a lot of the buying experience to your firm, to TestBox. So help me through the anxiety that I'm feeling right now around kind of giving over control of a fairly important part of the buying process and selling process. Yeah. I'll try not to spruik TestBox too much here. I'll just be, I'll try and be more careful. But a lot, a lot of what we're doing is actually finding ways to generate new qualified leads for you that you may not have had previously. Like actually spoke to one of the founders of Intercom, who is a partner on TestBox, and he basically said to me, "Of course, we want to be on your platform because you're going to enable us to be in deals that we weren't in previously. You're actually increasing the pie for me. So that's that's great. The second step." is the, the promise of TestBox to these vendors is that we will do everything from the initial discovery with a customer all the way through to them making a purchase decision. And you as a vendor haven't needed to be involved. So we're actually able to massively reduce the cost of your sales cycle and make it a ton faster for you as well. Because now what we see is usually we'll do an introduction to a vendor and they will close that deal within less than a week. That's significantly faster than anything that we've got today. 
So they're, they're two very big value propositions. There's also a third here around, and to sort of address part of your concern as a marketer is that we actually work with these partners to make sure that we are presenting the best version of that environment for them. And we actually have some partners who have told us, and I, I, it blew my mind the first time they said this, but I've, now I look back and I'm not that surprised. Our version of their environment is better than their version of their environment for a trial or even when their sales reps are showing it to their prospects. So we actually have some partners who are using TestBox with their sales reps, with their own source prospects, because our version is better than theirs. Okay. Anxiety level reduced. Thank you. You're better than a dose of gabapentin or some other thing that helps relax you. Sam, I appreciate that. One final question before we wrap up today, and I want to go back to... I want to go back to this idea that there are pieces of the buyer's journey that's broken. And you did a good job of representing the perspective of the buyer in terms of their sensibilities and what they're used to. I'll throw another question out here because I do feel like over time, you know, the risk of subscribing to SaaS of bringing on software was rather low. But I would say that as I'm seeing this explosion of the RevTech stack, I think the average number right now is up to 85 applications in the average stack. I'm also feeling like career risk is starting to enter into the picture. This is something that for a really long time wasn't as present, right? It's just very easy to hire and fire applications within your rev tech stack. Was that something that came out as well that people feel like they were in career risking decision mode quite often and needed more help making sure they're making good decisions? It's actually something we've talked about a ton internally is that are we selling the idea of ensuring you get a promotion or you don't get fired? There's, the, as you know, there's the old adage of like, no one, no one got fired buying ABM. Now it's no one got fired buying Salesforce. That's going to keep going. But actually, can we remove that idea entirely and make it you as this person on the RevOps team or whoever it is, is consistently choosing fantastic pieces of software that are adding value to our organization, easy to implement. If we can make that possible for you, that's fantastic. And I think we can. Okay. Well, future op stars, rock stars, listen up. We've got test box on the docket. The career risk is going to go down. Visibility is going to go up. And it's scaring me, Sam. So thank you. You've, you've achieved what you need to achieve. At the end of the day, we're looking for change that's positive to help those buyer journeys. So Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks very much, Doug. All right. That wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Sam Senior, founder, CEO at TestBox for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Sam and I are going to dig in and talk about the future of software buying. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Sam, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at Samuel B. Senior, or visit his company website at testbox.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com, where you have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on the show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, sorry, no TikTok. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're gonna publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed on the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself. 